Gremlins. You got you gotta watch out for the foreigners because they plant gremlins in their machinery. That's the same gremlins brought down our planes in the big one. Big one. That's right. World War II. Good old WWII. You know, they're still shipping them over here. They put them in the cars, they put them in the TV, they put them in the stereos and the radios. You stick in your ears, they put them in your watches. They got little stick teeny gremlins for the watches. Well, I don't think it's such a good idea that you drive home. Why don't you walk home? You know, Katie, I think maybe I'll walk home. Good. That's a nice night. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. I'm happy to watch those. All of those hold up perfectly. I, I think the only one that I have, like, questionable feelings about is... Uh, is it Return of the Hulk that has Thor in it? I think so, yeah. Where, like, their version of Thor looks nothing like comic book Thor. It just looks like some random Viking guy. Yeah. At the time, that's... it had to be realistic. In all honesty, their version of Hulk doesn't look anything like comic book Hulk, so why should their version of Thor look like comic book Thor? Or their version of Daredevil look like comic book Daredevil. Well, I mean, Daredevil kind of looked like Daredevil a little bit. <laughs> kind of in a vague sort of way. In, in as much as if you had the same eyesight as Daredevil, you might think that looked like Daredevil. Well, take away, take away the horns and put him in a black suit. Yeah. So, Batman, essentially. <laughs> well, no. I mean, there is a black Daredevil suit. Hey, 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 hey. We don't discriminate by color around here. And actually, the fascinating thing is, you know, well, the Daredevil in the TV series is actually based off the Daredevil from that movie. So, <laughs> in a roundabout way. Fascinating thing is that they still weren't allowed to call him Bruce Banner because it was too gay a name. <laughs> and that movie, that last one came out in like 1990. They didn't correct it yet. They're still calling him David like a bunch of assholes. Right. <laughs> Does anybody think it's weird that they think that David is a masculine name? It was the 80s. Who knows what the fuck was going on? Is there like David Bowie? He's the most manly man of all time, right? <laughs> right. There wasn't a lot of manliness in the 80s when you look back on it. Too much spandex, too much neon. No room for manliness. I'm trying to... Actually, if you go through the list of David's... It, like, goes south real quick. David Spade. Dave Schwimmer. <laughs> like, Don't you besmirch Dave Schwimmer. I'm just he's saying. Band, he's, he was a band of brothers. He was. He's also, like, a chinless dude. Chinless. That's an interesting insult. I don't think I've heard chinless before. Oh, yeah. I'm, well, you're chinless. Sounds I mean, like the edited version, edited for television person of calling someone dickless. You're like, <laughs> yes, yeah, but he's like, man has no chin. <laughs> he's like literally <laughs> lacking a chin. Uh, he's got a chin. You just don't like to recognize his chin. 
He has the opposite of Bruce Campbell chin. I, I guess. I don't. I don't understand your hatred of David Schwimmer's chin all of a sudden. This is, I've never thought about David Schwimmer's chin a single time in my entire life, and now I'm dragged into a conversation about it. And now I'm Googling pictures of David Schwimmer, all because of you. He's got a weak chin, son. I don't know. His chin looks fine to me. He has a perfectly adequate chin. He just doesn't have a good, strong chin. All right. That's such a weird thing to complain about. I'm not no. complaining about it. Everyone's different. All I'm pointing out is that if we're to assume that David are super macho the super beings, Dave Schwimmer, not macho super being. <laughs> All right. You know that wasn't him that stole that beer from the convenience store. <laughs> is this what you're upset about still? A little bit. It's funny because I'm scrolling through all these pictures of Dave Schwimmer, and of course that's that pops right up. Of course it does. It's like the most, actual... the most famous thing he's done since his comment on a YouTube video of something that kind of looks like him. <laughs> so did you see the actual video of David Schwimmer miming, stealing the beer? I'm going to assume no. I don't believe so. Was... <laughs> well, they show the picture of the guy, and then David Schwimmer actually filmed himself doing the exact same same thing from the security camera footage as that guy. I don't believe I saw that. But when you asked about that video that nobody else had seen, that really drew the conversation to a harsh close. Just Sure did. Just, sure did. If you can't comment on a video of David Schwimmer, then what's the point of even being on this podcast? How, how will we know anything about his chin? <laughs> I did. I did just punch Dave Schwimmer into Google, and one of the first articles that popped up is "Is Dave Schwimmer the ugliest man alive?" And then underneath in the description, and it's like, it's it's talking about uh, average dysmorphism, and it's talking about how weak his chin is. <laughs> I feel like that's Google, like tailoring its results to you <laughs> you've looked up a lot of stuff about dave schwimmer's chin the rest I of us know. would google it and it would be like no no way no, no replies like i hit w and the first thing it says is where is dave schwimmer's chin <laughs> tomorrow when you just walk by your keyboard it'll just go oh he wants to know about dave schwimmer's chin again just <laughs> I always like to imagine that there's actually a room where a uh, mythical guy actually has to type out the results to every Google query and just how upsetting that guy's life would be. Hey, man, I watch I watch the news and I, I believe your entire government believes that there is a guy doing that. Just like you're asking a question and there's just a guy behind a curtain somewhere looking up the answer for you. Series of tubes. It's funny. All I can see is him sitting there and being like, somebody else is asking about Dave Schwimmer's chin. It's not that bad. What the fuck? Guy's super confused. He's got pictures of Bruce Campbell and he's holding him up next to pictures of David Schwimmer trying to understand why everyone's so upset. Poor Schwimmer. I'm sure he's crying himself to sleep on a giant pile of friends' money. Right. I think he made four dollars off of us discussing him for this long, so it'll be fine for him. <laughs> Probably. Somehow they'll know. 
I have no idea how to transition to, from this into an intelligent conversation. Hey, Noah, uh, we're doing a tribute to Dick Miller. Why don't you tell us what Piranha is all about? Uh, Piranha is about super piranhas that the government it, made. Also, it's p- pronounced Piranha. Parahana. Parahana. Doesn't matter. Uh, We've got horny teenagers who break into a place and uh, get naked and die. So, good start. Dig it. Right? It is a Corman film. That's usually pretty much like the checklist. Yeah, that's the way horror movies are supposed to start. I'm a little disappointed that modern horror movies don't go with that trope. Uh, So, so. They're getting their skinny dip on, and they get eaten by something in the pool, and then some really fucking annoying lady whose job is to hunt down missing persons, and apparently her entire technique involves just, like, fucking bullying people into doing things for her. It works. I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose it works, but... Hey, the the actress's name in real life, last name is Minzies, so... You just let her do whatever she wants. She's had a rough time. Fabulous. It's very uh, kind of you, Brian. So after abducting an alcoholic and forcing him to drive her up into the mountains to this secret <laughs> government facility that everyone knows is there, uh, they decide they want to see what's at the bottom of the pool, and what better way to see what's at the bottom of the pool than walk through a strange lab filled with weird experiments and a crazy little lizard fish that the movie never fucking talks about again. There's so many cool monsters in there for all the spinoff movies. This is probably my my biggest sadness about this movie, is we never learn about any of those monsters. And right. There's so much potential. That's that's the sequel right there is the piranhas escape and they have to use those monsters to hunt down the piranhas. <laughs> That's the sequel that they never made. And I'm pretty pissed off at James Cameron about it. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you went with that because if you would start talking about piranhas on legs, we would be getting into trimmers, uh, <laughs> territory. <laughs> and, and while I like those movies, I like them because that's a stupid fucking idea. <laughs> Anyways, what's the rest of the plot? You got through uh, four and a half minutes. So they bump into uh god damn it, what's the guy's name? Nicholas Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Is it Kevin McCarthy? Nicholas. Why am I saying Nicholas? Because you're wrong. Uh. <laughs> Anyways, the guy from UHF. Yeah. Yes. Who owns the evil TV network? <laughs> <laughs> Is apparently a scientist. Uh, they drain the piranha pool, dumping it into the river, uh, which causes him to absolutely go ape shit. <laughs> which yeah, we, awesome. we got we got a. This is all Menzi's fault from for just being like we're we're gonna dump this pool to see if there's a skeleton into it. Right. Hey, we've got this government test site. Let's just drain this pool of liquid into the public water system. <laughs> I think it's important. it's important to note if people haven't watched the movie in a while that they walk through the full lab and notice that it's still operational before they do this. So it's just like it's like wait a minute. They think it's a closed it's a closed lab, but then they find out it's still operational. Then they dump the pool. Like, oh well, that seems like a bad plan. Right. Yeah. After they drain out the pool, they find a skeleton in the bottom, which looks pretty human like the guy's like, No, that's a dog. 
but it's it's, exa- just, it's clearly humid. It could be one of those ones from a fucking like yeah. high school lab. Yeah, it's just the exact size and shape of a person. But it's missing a skull, so we'll never know. <laughs> uh, and from there, uh, shit breaks loose, and we are basically in Jaws on a river. I mean, that's pretty much it, right? Oh, uh, this movie does not try to hide the fact that it's basically a Jaws ripoff. I mean, they're even watching Jaws, right? Oh, no, she's playing the Jaws video game. Yeah, yeah. this movie is proud of the fact that it's a Jaws ripoff. It's yeah. Not- yeah, uh, but you do get you get a monster movie, and you get a camp movie all rolled up into one. Yep, true. Uh, good gore effects, a uh, bunch of crazy deaths. There's actually a lot of deaths in this. Yeah, surprisingly high body count. Like halfway thing- ha- halfway through the movie, the guy's like, "I've witnessed five deaths myself," and I'm like, "Jesus, you <laughs> forgot half the movie to go." It is, and then and then the, it attacks all the kids at the camp, and you're like, "Well, that's an interesting climax of the film." Oh no, wait, that was just the halfway point on the way to the other climax of the film. Oh, it's delightful. Uh, we can say that there are moments in this movie that they went way out of their fucking way to uh, put in these things that they wrote that don't make fucking sense. Like them going down the river on like a Huck Finn raft that's just a bunch of logs slashed together. Why is that? <laughs> I mean, here's the thing is you can totally tell that this script was written for Roger Corman. They're like, Roger, we wrote you this script. Good enough. Do you want to read it first? Nope. Make the movie. But then someone in that company was like, we should hire Joe Dante to direct this. And it took this movie from being just like on par with every other schlocky Roger Corman movie. There's probably four other ones that came out in 1978. And they get into the fantastic piece of art because Joe Dante comes in and makes it into a great movie. Which is really nice that that happened because this movie is fantastic. But it's fantastic because it got turned into a horror movie instead of just being the schlocky crap that would have probably still been really fun to watch, but wouldn't have been good. I was actually surprised for a Corman movie. There's a lot of like uh, cars rolling over, uh, boat on boat action with explosions. It's like, man, how did Roger like okay this budget for this movie for them to have explosions in it? Well, I think that's why they had to go down the river on a raft because they couldn't put a motor on that thing. I mean, there is a great deal of this movie where it is like three people on screen and they're drifting down the river on a raft. And I think they have to actually like push themselves down the river with those big sticks because there's like there's no camera crew that can tow them along or anything. It's just <laughs> it's one guy in a canoe with a camera filming three people on a raft, and they're just hoping that raft stays together because I think the actors had to build it themselves based on the budget this film had. <laughs> they just had the kids build it as part of their arts and crafts for the <laughs> summer camp. I think those are just real kids at a camp, and they just got that. Uh, Got what's his name, the the actor who's in every Roger Corman movie, to go in there and just be a dick to them. They probably had no idea why it was happening. Like, who is this guy? Why is he being a jerk? Is somebody electrocuting somebody? It it sounds that way. Is that is that coming from me? Is there a horrible buzzy sound? Yeah, there's well, a horrible no. buzzy sound. 
There's a literal, like, I just electrocuted somebody sound. Yeah. Well, one second, let me... Uh... If somebody's watching the movie Shocker, they should pause it until after we're done the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know where it's coming from. I was, I was like... We're gonna try to throw it to Noah, and he's gonna be dead because he electrocuted himself. Is it? Is it still doing it? No. It's weird. I have no idea what the fuck was causing that. I moved some wires around. There must have been like an AC buzz or something. Yeah. It was weird. Uh, we should mention one of the reasons we're doing this. Of course, is part of the Dick Miller tribute. And uh, throughout the first part of the movie, I was like, "Oh shit!" I remember Dick Miller being in this. There it goes. He did it again. Uh. So I remember Dick Miller being in this a lot more. But then the second half, he's in it a pretty good amount, which made me happy. Yeah. And he does a good job, too. They kind of gave him a role that's perfect for him, mm-hmm. as being the sleazy like amusement park promoter guy from Texas. Good Lord, Noah. What are you doing? I, I am literally doing nothing. I am sitting perfectly still. <laughs> Hold on. Maybe if I take this, I'm so weak. Uh, you guys know this is why we have seven listeners, right? It's yeah. because this quality yeah. of podcasting. Yeah. As long as we're all comfortable with it. Well, I didn't I realize Noah was trying to give life to the Frankenstein monster. I am, I, I am sitting still. The microphone is in a boom stand. Where oh, I there cannot, it goes again. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> Why? Oh, oh, lots of static. Turns out this whole thing has just been an introduction to an episode of The Twilight Zone. <laughs> and it has to be on my end because I'm the only one not hearing it. That Let makes me try it. Let me try it. unplugging this and plugging it back. Whoa. That didn't help. <laughs> Noah's computer just blew up. Okay. Let's get, Hello? Are you back? Let's give it a second here. Right. By the way, I'm not cutting any of this out. This is going to remain in the show. There. This just means like next week when I'm at work listening to the show, I'm going to get angry at Noah again. <laughs> <laughs> but why would you be angry at me? I'm not doing anything. <laughs> When I have to listen to that noise again when I'm already at my desk at work and I'm never in a good mood while well, I'm there. There went again. God damn it. I don't even know what the noise sounds like. <laughs> it I literally sounds hear. like electricity. I can't like, hear the noise. It's like <sighs> Oh, there it goes again. Oh, oh, oh. Now it's gone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is not good. We're supposed to be talking about movies. All right. So, what did you like about Dick Miller in this movie? I just like that. I thought he was just perfectly cast as the like bombastic, over the top, like money hungry Texan who's just, he's brought in all like, because he's so proud of himself at the beginning. And I loved how he just, every time somebody pointed out that one of his exhibits was used, he tried to explain why that was a good thing over and over again. And he's like, people are saying it doesn't look very new considering this is a new park. And he just kept getting madder at everybody for doing it. <laughs> and I loved when they brought him the phone and the briefcase and he just refuses to accept that there might be Brianna coming. Good lord, Noah. I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> uh, 
I don't know what could be causing it. Here, hold on. Is someone walking up behind you with one of those like little buzzer things in their hands and just patting you on the back repeatedly? <laughs> oh, Noah's, Noah's punching his mic now. No, Noah tries to fight that mic he's going to lose to. It's going to be hilarious. Because <laughs> he's got weak arms. Yeah. Oh, God, where'd the mic get a knife? There has to be something here. <laughs> I, I just, I have no fucking idea what it could be causing. Well, I'll start doing it. Oh, there it goes again. God fucking damn it! Fuck! <laughs> Try uh, jumping out of the group and coming back in and see if that fixes it. Alright. I don't know why it would, but... So, while he's gone, Brian, if you want to reveal yes. to me and the listeners that you are doing this to him on purpose, just try to say it. it would be a good time. I wish it was. You're hearing it, right? Oh, yeah, for sure, and it's annoying okay. as hell. Okay, no. First, I was just like, what the fuck is that? But, goddamn Noah. We'll see if Noah notices that we just kick him out every time he tries to join the call again. <laughs> uh, so as you mentioned Dick Miller, super awesome he owns this amusement park and uh, yeah, I think one of my favorite it's when uh, the piranhas go crazy and start eating people <laughs> he's on the phone like a newspaper guy he's like, keep telling you there's nothing going on and then the guy shows up and he's like uh, sir, we have a problem the piranhas are eating the guests. And he just looks at him like, what the fuck do I do with this? Yeah, there's there's some fantastic moments where they're all still trying to justify the fact that, oh, there's no piranhas, and yet people are getting eaten, like, right over there. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was, like, the mayor. I thought he was, like, supposed to be, like, the mayor of this town, but... Yeah, you told me uh, he was the mayor and screwed up my Instagram post when I announced yeah. I this, because I assumed you were correct. But it's pretty much the same role. It's just he doesn't hold as high of office as we thought he did. Yeah. And it's and it's very Corman-esque the way they do it. And they have like, okay, it turns out he's has the uh, the army guys are investing in his, in his amusement park and that's why nobody's, everyone's trying to cover up the existence of these piranha and everything. It's pretty funny. <laughs> All of that. It's like, it's hilarious because in a movie where we just watch people come down a river on a raft for an hour and then we watched them get taken in by the army and escape and steal an army jeep and drive away just to get arrested by the cops and escape and steal the cop car and drive away and then at the end we just get this dump of exposition explaining the whole plot <laughs> and it's like yeah that's that's Corman-esque for you right there like I say when you then they hire Joe Dante and you get the great Piranha kills. I think some of the camera work is fantastic. Yeah. Um, considering what they had to work with, I think they look great. I think a lot of the gore is just—it's really good gore for the uh, the time, which I think is just—it's—it takes the movie from being like schlocky and jokey to being a more serious horror film because when these people are all chewed up and you're looking at them, especially when it's the kids, you're like, oh, well, that's that's pretty nasty. Yeah, probably my favorite moment of the whole movie is when uh, the head camp counselor guy—he's been half eaten to shit—and there's all these dead kids around him, 
and the guy that tried to warn him shows up and they just lock eyes for a minute and stare at each other. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, you probably should have listened to that guy instead of calling him a drunk and hanging up on him in retrospect, eh? Yeah, apparently this guy's got like a reputation. So every time he tries to warn somebody, like, there's piranhas in the river, they're like, oh, that drunk guy again. Well, he does live in the woods, and he has, like, a neighbor just deliver him booze once a week. <laughs> and he's on, like, EI, so he's, like, he's not even working or anything. <laughs> he's like, I can just still drink. I can drink till September, and then I got to get a job, because that's when the employment insurance works out. It's like, that, that shouldn't be a plot point in this movie. He's got a kid, so we don't know, like, what their relationship is like, because she's at camp the whole time. So he's like, fuck it, she's out of the house. I'm just drunk 24-7. What I really want to know is, like, what's the deal with the mother if this drunk who lives in the woods and chooses not to work is the guy that got full custody? (laughs) (laughs) Controversial statement. The courts tend to favor the mother and tend to favor the non-drunk parent. So (laughs) this guy's the father and the drunk. I don't know how he ended up with this kid. Yeah, especially when uh, the lady shows up. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm like a skip trace. Like, I'd find people who are missing. Did my ex-wife send you? It's like, what? what's going on between you two that you think she just sent them random people over to, f- to find you living in the woods? Maybe he uh, kidnapped the daughter, just ran off with her. Oh, is that what you think? I, that that would explain like, a lot. I feel like if that happened, then there's a, a flaw in the film where they didn't explain that, because... That's really the kind of thing you got to point out in your plot. So no, uh, no more ghost bees in Noah's microphone. I, I would like to say the problem is fixed, but I can make no guarantees. <laughs> Did you like listen to it, like record it and listen to it while you were gone? Well, I I flipped on uh, listen to device, so it was like oh, yeah. my own speakers. <laughs> That's what it was. It was just random, just sitting there, and all of a sudden it's like, (laughs) wait, what? Uh, So were you happy to see Dick Miller pop up in this movie, even though we knew that's exactly why we picked this movie? Aren't you always happy to see Dick? Uh, Dick (laughs) (laughs) No, we all know what you did there, and we don't appreciate it. (laughs) Say kind things about Dick Miller right now. No, Dick Miller's Dick Miller's awesome. Like, are you ever disappointed whenever you're watching a movie and Dick Miller pops on the screen and you're like, ah, fuck, it's Dick Miller again. I will say he trusted the Terminator a little too much in his gun store. True. <laughs> Is that the criticism you have of Dick Miller? Like, yeah, you shouldn't have just been handing them guns. I mean, I, saw, I thought that's how it worked down there. I just always assumed that was an American thing. If you just walk into the store and be like, hand me a newsie, the guy just goes, all right. I mean, in this movie, he's kind of the bad guy, and he's still so fucking likable, you don't care. He's not so much a bad guy as he is just a businessman trying to make it in this hard world where, for some reason, this river has, like, a camp on it, and then it has an amusement park on it. Like, there's not a lot of amusement parks on rivers that I know of. So, did you guys already talk about the scene of the kids getting sacked by shit tons of piranhas? Not enough. No, we didn't. Not talk yeah. about that. We were talking about how good the, the special effects were and the camera work. Just the it, frenzy of piranha, like eating people and the camera moving around and just the quick frenzy of it, I think was a really good idea. Right. And I think, 
I think back in the day on an episode, we did have a slight discussion about, you know, how most horror movies are a little bit reticent to uh, show bad things happening to children. Not this one. You know, it's usually off screen or something or, you know, it's just somebody holding a dead kid or whatever they want. Yeah, this one, it's like a fuck ton of kids screaming and splashing around (laughs) like, no, and covered in blood. Fucking Oh, yeah. We did. We did. Made. We alluded to the aftermath scene too, where all the kids have been, the bodies have been dragged up on shore, and they just have these sheets over them. And it's all blood stained and everything. <laughs> and that's like, that is so fantastic to see. Yeah, I just love that Joe Dante is really known for making uh, movies that are really good for kids to watch. And then we're talking about a movie where Piranha just eat a camp full of kids, and he's like, "Yeah, fuck it, blood everywhere. It'd be awesome." Keep in mind that I watched this plenty of times when I was a kid. <laughs> and I think in the era, this was considered a kid-friendly movie. There's only like three or four boob shots. There's uh, no sex scenes. Basically a kid's movie by 80s and 70s standards. And they do they do, do a whole thing in this movie where they do the scene with the kids and then they're like, you know what? That was so awesome. We should just do this scene again with adults. Yep. You know what's hilarious? Bearded men in inner tubes getting killed by things in the water. Let's just show as much of that as we can. They're not. They're not wrong. I just. I love the way that all fucking hell breaks loose when they pull into that amusement park or whatever it is. With uh, I don't know if amusement park's the right term to describe the Dick Miller's. Uh, Resort. It's like a family fun resort. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I love that they just they do the flash around and they're it's like a smorgasbord of food for the piranha. Like here's some guy, here's a guy water skiing. Here's some guys <laughs> diving under the water. Here's some people playing at this game. And it's just like, yeah, piranha's going to eat all of these people. Just give us time. We're just letting you know where everyone is, setting up the pieces. And eventually, all the pieces start running into each other, and it made me happy. Yeah, I like the guy, water skiing guy. Well, the two no, chicks are just getting no, mad. Well, the two chicks are getting mad at them for being really good at water skiing, <laughs> and so they're like, "Let's dump them." And the whole time, you're like, "No, there's piranha in the water. Don't do it." The thing is, like, if you're if you're like water skiing or tubing or kneeboarding or anything, and it's your friends driving the boat, obviously they're trying to dump you. That's obviously going to be the goal. So it felt very real. <laughs> and then the idea that we all know that if he gets dumped, he's done for was amazing and he starts signaling like take me in and they're like fuck that shit <laughs> i think he said to slow down stop for a second and then he's like no 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 keep going keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course that causes the two boats to run into each other with a giant fireball yeah really unnecessary fireball that made no sense but... <laughs> the fireball that started before the boats hit each other yeah <laughs> it's okay I think my favorite kill in that whole uh, sequence was definitely the uh, scuba diver who got his foot stuck in like the seaweed at the bottom, and he's like trying to pull it free, and he sees the piranha coming, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no!" Ah, shit! <laughs> uh, that one made me smile a lot because there was just so much lead up to it, and like you just see them go under, and you're like, "Okay, at least one of those guys is gonna get eaten." Then he gets his foot stuck, and you're like, "That's the one right there." He's now just bait, basically. <laughs> I think my favorite moment is they're in the water. All sorts of people are getting attacked. People are screaming. And the one guy's like looking around like, 
hmm, what the hell's going on here? And then, like, Piranha jumps out of the water and bites his neck. <laughs> Anytime the Piranha made the move to come out of the water and go after somebody, that's always a good, a good uh, point. Uh, I did like the, uh, if you really look, you can see the stick that some of the Piranha are mounted on. Yeah, I know. Because uh, I have the the Corman Classics DVD of this. If I remember, they show, like, the piranha were basically just, like, mounted on the stick. And you just pull this little trigger and their mouth opened and closed. And so then they would just, like, you know, wiggle them all about and then shake the camera and shit. You couldn't really see anything. But it yeah. looks amazing on film. It looks really good on film. And, like, a total credit to the director and the cinematographer for that. Because the special effects are basically those little fish things you could buy in stores in the 80s. Like, mm-hmm. you could get these when you were a kid. Yeah. And I don't, other than the fact that these were piranha shaped instead of like shark shaped, I think any kid could have got these for like three ninety nine at your local drugstore or whatever. Yeah. I love this movie. I think the one thing I'm not a fan of. Oh, is shut your the, mouth. Well, it's, it's a minor <laughs> thing. The, uh, the sound effect of the piranhas. The, the quintessential, you know, da sound of Jaws. Instead, it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> eh, I didn't mind it. They're more yeah. they're more of like a swarm. So I almost like liken just like a swarm of bees. Like just some really horrible, like... Uh, grinding is not the right word, but just, yeah, sound overlapping each other. So to sound. Yeah, that's pretty much how I took it as well, and I kind of enjoyed that element of it. Yeah. So you're wrong, though. Mm-hmm. I was just saying, <laughs> not a big fan. The rest of the movie's uh, dope. Guy gets his legs eaten off. <laughs> that guy that like crawled onto the shore. And... <laughs> well, I think they're probably like the dumbest moment of the whole movie is when they find that guy's body. The guy's like, "Well, I'll get a shovel." What? No, that's not how it works. <laughs> he wouldn't want to be buried in town. Well, that yeah, that's fine and all, but you have to like contact the coroner. Yeah, you can't just bury Bob. Plus, if your plan is to convince everyone that they're a piranha, this would probably help your your case. <laughs> this is good. They're like counting up the bodies, like how many people piranha killed and. Ever see what happened to Bob? No, he just disappeared. I don't know what happened. Oh, the fucking drunk guy says he buried him again. God damn it. <laughs> he was right about the fish thing, so I guess that means we have to go dig up the yard and see if there's Bob got buried there or not. And what happens to his dog? Does the dog just escape into the wild? I guess. Mm. The dog inherits that, that waterfront property and Later, when the piranha are gone and the values go back up, it makes a mint. Nice. To Florida. Yeah, I did like that the dog was the smartest person in the entire movie. The guy's sitting with his feet in the water, and the dog's like, fuck no, there's shit in that water. I'm not going anywhere near it. Better get your toes out of that water. <laughs> the dog also knows that it's probably faster to run along shore than it is to try to go down river on a raft that you have to, like, push along. <laughs> I'm not sure that that raft was speeding them up at all. It's like, well, we obviously don't have a Jeep anymore, so obviously the fastest way is this old-timey raft. I was going to say, 
there's there's a lot of Huck Finn jokes to be made about that raft, but you got to be real, real careful because <laughs> you get dangerously close to a gym joke. Uh, unless you're going by the uh, the new version where they replace the N word with the word robot. <laughs> so it's Huckleberry Finn and Robot Jim. It doesn't is- feel like we should be discussing this on this podcast. <laughs> no, but that's a real book. That's fine. I don't feel that we should be discussing this topic. We're going to say the wrong thing. I know us well enough to know that. Like I said. Back to discussing Joe Dante tuck, movies that we're supposed tuck, to. Tuck and roll. You don't want to take that body blow. Robot Jim? It's, it's a dangerous territory. All right. <laughs> so I'm assuming, gonna... I'm assuming all three of us highly recommend this movie. Oh, I for sure. love it. Oh, it's classic. I tried to watch the second one. It's nowhere near as good. I love I love the ending too because basically he has to swim down into that little building, get uh shredded by piranhas, open up all that toxic shit, which he basically then gets <laughs> drugged through by a boat, in which the way they have him tied and the way she takes off, that would do so much fucking damage to your body. <laughs> Broke his back. Oh my god! It would be skin and broken ribs and oh. (laughs) But you're also getting drugged through raw sewage, and then because it's the 1970s, it's for nothing. Doesn't do any fucking thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Barbara Hershey basically lets us know that the piranha have escaped into the ocean. Yep, they will kill the world's population. I do love that they just throw a nihilistic ending onto it. Like yeah. everything, everything you just saw—two police chases and a Huck Finn raft and a fucking two giant piranha attacks on various uh, resorts—all eh, for naught. None of that <laughs> mattered because they're going to take over the world now. I I do like the fact that they can survive in salt water is like a really uh, small point at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, because you don't you don't get that a lot. You don't get these weird subtle things. <laughs> Even though that ending, you know, it's obvious that they're going out to the ocean to kill people. But mm-hmm. if they had downplayed that a little more, I think it would have been a better ending where people would have been like, "Oh shit!" Remember at the beginning of the movie, whenever he said that water was salty. <laughs> Is Piranha's gonna fuck shit up, yo. Uh, so either one of you ever watched Piranha Two: The Spawning? Uh, I have, but not in a long time. Yeah, I have. It's been so long, I can't remember. Okay, then all three of us are in the same boat. I've watched it. I own it on DVD. I cannot tell you one thing that happens in that movie. I think the Prana can jump out of the water in that one a lot better. Yeah, Maybe they've evolved into a flying fish, from what I remember. Yeah. Which doesn't sound like a good idea when you say it out loud. No. Um, what about the quote-unquote remake of Piranha? Which, which remake? There are two. So, uh, well, there was the made-for-TV '90s one. Yeah, I almost watched that, um, but I watched. I got as far as the trailer, and I think it's like tries to be a shot-for-shot remake because some of the dialogue is just lifted and reused. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw that way like when it first aired, but I don't. It's been a long time, but the greatest American hero makes an appearance in it. Mr. William Cat. Oh, there you go. So. Uh, what about the the two thousands? Yeah, everybody saw that one. Most people liked it, including all three of us, I assume. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. I do find it's it's one of those movies where it's like, yeah, it's all about the attacks and the blood and the gore, which mm-hmm. is all well done. Um, I didn't think the storytelling worked in it, but yeah. not really why you were there, so it didn't yeah. really matter. <laughs> I think it knew what kind of movie it was, so it was just like, yeah, whatever. And if you saw it in 3D like I did, that was one of the few 3D movies where I was like, this is totally worth the 3D price. So I got to see a penis belched in front of, out of a fish's mouth right in front of me. Yep. Jerry O'Connell's penis, if yeah. I remember correctly. It's yeah. been a while since I saw, saw it, especially the 3D version. So. It, was, it was basically playing the guy from Girls Gone sure Wild. Sure do know a yeah. lot about Jerry O'Connell's penis, Doug. <laughs> yeah, who's basically playing the Girls Gone Wild guy, which I thought yeah. was a perfect casting. <laughs> That was uh, that heyday for Girls Gone Wild too. Everybody would have got that joke. Yeah, nowadays not so much. Probably. Uh, what about Three Double D? It's what? it's good for what it is. Mm. Yeah, I enjoyed it the one time I watched it. I'll probably never watch it again. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. It was it was kind of fun. It's like, hey, Dave Keckner's in it, and then that was about the top level of my excitement throughout it. I could I could have seen ten year old me getting a bigger kick out of it. Well, duh. It's like strippers at a at a, a water slide park. This is the best movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Which one is Ving Rhames shooting fish in it? Uh, well, that was that was both. He was in both movies. Was he? He was a cop in the first one, and then he got his legs bitten off. And then he was security guard at this water park. Because <laughs> cops get their legs bitten off, don't get a good pension. Yeah. And at right. some point in the second one, he tells somebody, get me my legs. As he gets his steel legs so the piranhas can't eat him when he walks into the water. It's a good idea. <laughs> That's where Darth Maul got the idea. Huh? wonder where they ripped that off from. I still don't understand how both these movies got Christopher Lloyd to agree to show up to be in it. But. It's so weird. They got fucking... Uh, what's his name? Matt Hooper in the fucking first one. I'm like, how is he in this? <laughs> Basically, yeah, playing Matt Hooper too, which makes it even funny. I think if you actually watch the credits, he's actually credited as Matt Hooper. <laughs> <laughs> makes no sense. Richard Dreyfuss is showing up for that movie, but... It's, gone, right. full, it's gone full circle. The first one... Was the Jaws ripoff, and then this newer one had uh, the death of Matt Hooper in it. Technically a Jaws sequel. Yeah. So it's a shared universe. It's a big buzzword nowadays. Alright, well, let's move on to our next movie in our Dick Miller retrospective. And Doug, I know Gremlins is a gigantic favorite of yours. It so is. Why don't you uh, tell us all about Gremlins? Alright, if let as the listeners people, in on the plot because they yeah, don't know. As if people listening have never watched this movie before. Yeah. So Gremlins is about <laughs> uh, a kid or a guy in his mid to late 20s who works at a bank and still lives at home. <laughs> even though it's the 80s when you could afford to live in your own life if you were uh, worked at a bank. Yeah. Um, his age is questionable. So he gets a gift from his father, which is a mogwai which is the most adorable animal ever created for film or television. And uh, he fails to obey the three rules 
and therefore uh, by getting it wet, he causes it to multiply. By feeding the multiple mugwai after midnight, he converts them into uh, these gremlins, which proceed to just basically raise hell in this little town. And uh, he ends up having to destroy them all with the help of his wannabe girlfriend. And Dick Miller is always around, just being slightly racist and yeah, he's, he's, he's basically drunk and mostly racist in this movie. That's Dick Miller's main role. He's, he's fantastic uh, in it. And he's then, he's 80s cute racist. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, he's just, he's don't mind him. He's just like he's, drunk. He's not saying anything about people from other countries. He's <laughs> saying something about cars from other countries, so that <laughs> makes it okay. It's a, even though clearly the intention is that he hates everybody who's not American, He's only technically bad mouthing cars aren't American, so it's okay. <laughs> it, it, it is that weird version of racism that existed in the 80s that was just sort of acceptable at the time. <laughs> but of course, the this is probably the role that most people know Dick Miller from. Mm-hmm. They probably, when they see him in Terminator or they see him in something else, they're like, hey, that's the guy from Gremlins because he's fantastic in it. Um, yeah. You know, he's just... He's kind of the comic relief, even though the whole movie is technically probably a comedy. And he just kind of, like you say, he's, he's sort of a lovable character, despite his clear character flaws. And uh, he's responsible for naming the Gremlins. He is. So I'm gonna I'm gonna assume everybody hates this movie. Don't recommend it for anybody. Uh, I think the opposite. I recommend it for everybody. Literally everybody. Uh, if you're zero to ninety kind of thing, and you have ever even heard of movies, you'll like this one. Once again, it's a, it's an example of like you have a a script written and an idea for a movie, and uh, then they hire Joe Dante and he just elevates it because I mean this is written by Chris Columbus, and mm-hmm. we know what happens when Chris Columbus directs his own movies. You get Home Alone, or you get you know. Didn't he do a couple of the Harry Potters, right? So yeah. we know what Chris Columbus does, and and it's that's good. I'm not criticizing those things, but I I think you get probably you have that script written, and then you have a guy like Joe Dante come in and just mean up the Gremlins a little bit. Like I yeah. bet they weren't that scary in the original script. I bet you there was no moment where one of them had their head chopped off and thrown into a fireplace, <laughs> and the camera stopped and focused on it. Probably no moment where one get jammed into a blender by our hero's mom, <laughs> like. Yeah, especially with Spielberg producing it and everything. Yeah, like you I, have I to imagine. You, yeah, I was be gonna, a little lighter. I was gonna say having Spielberg in the mix before him and George Lucas went into their dark phase. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can only assume that when there's when the studio heads at Amblin started to see dailies from this, they probably shit themselves and didn't realize what a masterpiece had been created. Cause I'm sure there was a lot more of like gizmo driving around in a car and stuff like that. And I think we see that more with, uh, with gremlins too. Mm-hmm. That's the one where we start to see that more of the lightheartedness come out. Uh, Cause like, I mean the gremlins and gremlins too don't, they sing, but they don't have to get drunk in order to think their own voices sound good and stuff like that. <laughs> Whereas in this movie, they literally go in and start causing trouble at a bar. 
Although, isn't part of the uh, the lore of two that supposedly Joe Dante, in order to do the second movie, was basically like, you have to take the gloves off and let me do whatever I want to. <laughs> Is that true? I don't know. Yeah, could be. See, that's what, that's what I'd always been told. And that that's why two's kind of like so different in a lot of ways. Because he didn't want to make a sequel, so he was like, well, I'm going to do this other thing. This crazy fourth wall breaking bad shit. It is insane. And it does have Hulk Hogan <laughs> threatening the gremlins for having the nerve to mess with the actual screening of the movie that you're supposed to be at. Mm. We'll get to that one. We got to do Gremlins 2 one day. <laughs> well, I mean, Christopher Lee's in it. So, I mean, yeah, totally. And guess what? It's going in the movie. <laughs> Maybe one of the greatest Key and Peel skits ever made. <sighs> Anyways, so, like, obviously I'm going to rant about Gremlins some more and talk about more of my favorite stuff about it. <laughs> Anybody else want to jump in? It's oh, I love this movie. Gremlins. Um, I, I was going to say, it's one of those movies that, that it's hard to talk about because, like, what what do we have to say about Gremlins that, like, hasn't been said a million fucking times? Well, it's, I got one thing. It's awesome. Okay. Do you guys know that time travel exists in the Gremlins universe? Okay. Go on. So while uh, while the dad, I don't remember his name, but while the dad's away at one of his conferences and he's on the payphone talking to Billy or his wife or whoever, uh, if you look in the background, so there's some people huddled around a replica of the time machine from H.G. Wells' The Time oh, Machine. Yeah. I did know this, actually. <laughs> and uh, the, the guy's like sort of like, you can't hear anything, but he's sort of like showing it off. Like, hey, this is the time machine. And then, you know, cut to uh, the dad talking. Cut to Billy or the wife or whoever he's talking to. Cut back. The guy's getting sitting in the time machine. People are backing up. And then cut back and forth. And when they cut back, there's just a scorched square on the carpet with smoke coming up with people standing around it baffled. That's a genius moment. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things that nobody ever notices because it's in the background of a really busy scene that is already like sort of overwhelming with like Robbie the robot and like all this other stuff that's going on in the background. Yeah. I mean, and you add that to the fact that the movie was shot on the same uh, lot as the Back to the Future town. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I love that little town that shows up in so many 80s movies. <laughs> right. Yeah, so if the Gremlins got a hold of this time machine, I'm just saying. That's what they could do. That's another. That's a whole other movie. That's how they it get to the Home Alone, Home Alone uh, neighborhood time travel. So they, they, would, they would totally use it, too, because they're mischievous little fuckers in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I have no idea. Like, the Gremlins don't seem to have a goal of any kind. They just causing shit to cause shit, like a bunch of frat boys on the on the loose, you know. And I think that's fantastic. For some reason, I grew up thinking that uh, Mrs. Deagle was Carol Burnett, but I, I think I was so. mistaking her for her character in Annie. But they're both very similar. I think she kind of looks like Carol Burnett. I can see that. Yeah. In a kid's brain, can, conflating the two. And then when I got older, I watched it. And I'm like, wait. Where's Carol Burnett? This is bullshit. This is the wrong movie. Do you guys know where the uh, the name Mogwai came from? No. Tell us. 
it is it is too uh i'm gonna use the wrong word for this but chinese characters mo and guai and if you literally translate them together it means evil spirit or demon oh interesting but he's so adorable, though. To this day, I fucking want a Mogwai. I don't care. I know, I know all the risks associated with it. I don't care. Worth the risks. <laughs> Only if, uh, like, I could take him places with me. Yeah, well, you get a backpack. Yeah, everyone yeah. knows they like riding in backpacks. Yeah. Head on down to, head on down to the, <laughs> the Parada Three Double D Water Park with. Ah, <laughs> oh, Gremlins versus Piranha. I don't see why not. That's a crossover we need. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my money on the piranha. Think so? Oh, I don't think so. But while the gremlins are devious little fuckers, uh, their survivability rating is not very good. But the only way the piranha can get them is if they go in the water, and when they go in the water, that creates more gremlins. Little so bitty vicious cycle. But it'd be little bitty bite-sized gremlins. They would just have <laughs> infinite snacks. I don't know. I don't which think would, I don't think the piranha could keep up. Which would what? cause a piranha population explosion. There'd be even what, more piranhas. What happens if a piranha swallows a whole micro gremlin that is wet? Does it multiply inside of them? Possibly. I would think so. Ah, see this is ripe for a crossover. I'm pretty sure what we would end up with is a Gremlins 2 esque uh piranha gremlin. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, it's going in the movie. <laughs> I, I totally watch it. I feel yeah, like, like I said, it's it's hard to talk about. I mean, it's out of out of movies that attempt to blend like uh, comedy and horror together. Mm-hmm. This is one of the best ones. Yeah. Because the gremlins managed to be legitimately like silly and funny and legitimately fucking terrifying at the same yeah. time. I was gonna say the the scene with the mom versus the gremlins in the house is still like absolutely terrifying. Oh, like yeah. the, especially with that song, like do you see what I see playing the whole time? I'm just like, this is fucked. Yeah, it's messed up. She the explodes best way to- one in the microwave, which is awesome. <laughs> Because in the 80s, we all believed you could do that with a microwave. <laughs> Put anything in the microwave long enough, it'll blow up. I think uh, the best way to describe the gremlins is like the bar scene when they're all in there causing shit and flashing Phoebe Cates and stuff. And you're like, that's exactly what it, it was like. If I was in that bar and I wasn't part of that party, I'd be a little scared and intimidated by it because I'd be worried they were coming after me. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I don't want to be at that party. I just, I just want to make sure I'm on their side. <laughs> that's the best way to describe gremlins it's like yeah they're scary and intimidating but they look like they're having a great fucking time you just you just heard it folks doug wants to flash phoebe case <laughs> i feel not, like that was wrong i had a gigantic crush on phoebe case because of this movie when i was younger oh yeah me too everybody did it wasn't until later that i found out about the other movie yeah exactly <laughs> suddenly Weird feelings start happening when you find out about fast times. Uh, so, what about Phoebe Cates' uh, depressing monologue? Did it ever bother anybody? So, this is—it's one of those things that, while it's a good piece of acting and mm-hmm. like good character development 
or whatever, d does it need to be there? Like, what fucking purpose does that serve in this movie? Uh, just to explain why she hates Christmas. Why yeah. we should all hate Christmas. And, I, I, yeah, I really think it's just... It's really just a very fucked up moment to throw in the movie. Because somewhere the writer or director decided they wanted to fuck us up. <laughs> this should do it. <laughs> Let's hear about a kid discovering her dad dressed as Santa in the chimney. I was going to say, and once again, I think it's part of that weird, uh, we, and we've talked about it before, the 80s thing about they weren't as worried about traumatizing your child as we are now, <laughs> where they were they were like, this is a kid's movie, and we're going to put this in so the kids learn to... Uh, you know, appreciate their fucking parents, pieces yeah. of shit. Yeah, well, we we'll do our best to make sure that all these kids cry themselves to sleep tonight. But when they wake up in the morning, they'll respect their parents a little more, that, and that's okay. It's just okay if that happens to millions of children who will be allowed to watch this movie that clearly they shouldn't be allowed to watch. No, like in the eighties, in the eighties, it's okay. In the eighties, people must have known this wasn't okay but it was treated as a kid's movie. There's no way that anybody watched this movie and went, yeah, this was clearly made to children in mind. It's just somebody watched it and went, well, kids shouldn't watch this, but we'll make more money if they do, so let's make them watch it. Does anybody have a favorite gremlin? See, in this one, it's a little harder not to say Spike. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's the problem, is I would say Spike, well, but I feel bad just saying Spike. Well, it's Stripe, so you're both Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not right. fans of this movie. Right. Well, you're, you're, second right. movie I apologize. Right. Uh, for some reason, the one, the gremlin with the honeybee puppet on its hand, <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's just maybe it's funny seeing this horrible monster with this cute little puppet trying to, like, make the other one laugh. <laughs> for some reason, it just cracks me up every time. I'm a... Uh... I'm a big fan of the uh, the gremlin that's in the bar wearing the hat and the glasses that has the cigarette sticking out of its mouth, and it's trying to get her to light the cigarettes, but the light's too bright, so every time she leans in, he freaks out and backs up, and then insists on her doing it again. How much do you respect Phoebe Cates' work ethic in this movie that she didn't storm out of that bar? She stayed and kept trying to serve them. <laughs> she's just, just hoping for a really good gremlin tip at that point. She's like, what about how these guys do? Well, I just think it's funny the gremlins are so crazy, but they understand, like, if we don't kill this girl, she can serve us drinks all night. It'll be great. <laughs> They're just smart to figure that out. They're not smart to figure out the taps themselves, though. Yeah, exactly. And I like I like the fact that their decisions on like who they're gonna kill and who they're just really gonna fuck with seems completely arbitrary. <laughs> I think I think and it it is arbitrary. I think is the, at the end of the day, the only one that it's like uh, Gizmo is the only one that they really don't like. Everybody else they kill them just because they're there. I feel like it. Sometimes you just I mean I can understand their urge to shoot an old lady into the sky for having the nerve to sit on one of those. Thing he used to take you up and down the stairs. In in their defense, she's terrible. She deserved it. <laughs> exactly. She's not very. She's not very nice. So she's launched airborne. Which she's, I'm mean, not, she's mean to dogs. If you're mean to dogs. You get shot out of a window. And why do they design those things? Does anybody understand to have that much power? Uh, it seems like they should just make those with a smaller engine so that that can't happen. Uh, 
because. Okay, good point. <laughs> good talk. Uh, I do remember, you know, everybody always talks about the kitchen scene. I think that was, whenever I was a kid, it was one of the things that used to freak me out, is like her lying dead in the snow in the chair. <laughs> Which is kind yeah. of, you know, now watching it as an adult, it's funny. <laughs> but as a kid, you're like, oh my god, that old lady's dead right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that and I thought the college scene where the, it turns into a gremlin and he gets pissed at the professor. So then it kills him, but then sticks a needle in, in him too. Just because he used to take, you know, take blood all the time. So he's like, fuck this guy. Shoves a needle in him. We didn't even mention that Corey Hames in, or Corey Feldman's in this movie. Yeah, the whole thing is Corey Feldman's fault. Little, <laughs> little shit spills water on Gizmo. None of this would have happened if not for him. Something else that's Corey Feldman's fault. Son of a bitch. Fucking so many Corey things are Feldman. his fault. <laughs> it is pretty hilarious watching him walk around in that Christmas tree costume. <laughs> that scene at the Christmas tree lot, that feels like something out of a Chris Columbus movie where the cop is trying to negotiate for a free tree. <laughs> Uh, that's another point. I could play a figure out who it was. This would be. I'd like to have a discussion about how old the main character is supposed to be, Billy. Because <laughs> he's like. He works at a bank. Mm-hmm. And. But he lives at home, which you would think would be like, okay, so maybe just post college, hasn't quite moved out yet. Mm-hmm. But his parents still buy him pets for Christmas. <laughs> that seems like something you would get for a kid. Yeah. So, drop out of high school to work at a bank? Is that a thing that could happen in the 80s? I mean, I guess he could still be in school and working at a bank, but... I feel like they would have brought that up. Yeah. But then that would have to assume that they were on Christmas break if he's working during the day. Well, then they, they go to the college, and it's open. So Yeah, know. and there's a scene where he goes to the bar, right? Because his co-worker comes up to him and is harassing him. That's right. Oh, yeah. Is this dicky coworker who became vice president at twenty seven thinks he's very special for that? Yeah, and Phoebe Cates works at the bar, so I mean she'd have to be at least be twenty one. Well, she's volunteering though; she's not being well, paid. So. No, it's the it, it's the eighties, so she could be underage and just serving her underage boyfriend. Now we're nowhere again. God damn it! <laughs> Confused again. God damn it! Fuck. I know what I was going to ask. Fucking Corey <laughs> God damn it, Feldman. <laughs> if Curry Hame had been in this movie, we wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> Did anybody else think left the movie when you were younger thinking that the Futtermans had died? That they'd been run over by the tractor? It yeah. sure seemed like they were getting ready to get crushed into a wall. Yeah. I spent most of my life thinking the Futtermans died until Gremlins 2 came out and we learned that they were still alive. I feel like that might have been a bit of retconning. It's like, well, we didn't see them die. So an implied death can just be an almost death. Yeah. I'm not really sure, though. The whole thing is just really... it Because the Futterman showing up in Gremlins 2 is a bit ridiculous, because they didn't play that much of a role in this movie. <laughs> it's just like, ah, uh, for some reason, the old drunk people are really good friends with the kid who worked at a bank but becomes an architect. Yes. Um, which it doesn't make a lot of sense either. I love that he became an architect, but uh, Phoebe Cates apparently is a tour guide in the same building. 
<laughs> I love that. Yeah, the fact they work in the same building is great. <laughs> uh, good old equality. I don't know. Anything else you want to rave about for Gremlins? I don't know. This movie's awesome. Every it's, element of it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's Gremlins. It's probably either the best or second best Christmas movie ever made. It's probably yeah. the best uh, quote unquote children's horror movie ever made. I think you might have opened up a debate there, though. Do you guys think this is a Christmas movie? Gremlins is a Christmas movie. I and do fuck not. anyone who says otherwise. All right, well, I'm not convinced it's a Christmas movie. Uh, I feel the fact that it's Christmas time does play a role in the plot. His it's Gizmo for Christmas. But if he had just gotten Gizmo for his birthday, the rest of the movie could have played out essentially the same, right? What, what the fuck does that matter? You can apply that to all sorts of things. <laughs> oh, but a Christmas movie has to have a Christmas movie plot to it. I don't feel this movie has a Christmas plot to it. A, a plot like a family coming together and then learning a lesson at the end about responsibility? <laughs> I don't feel that that happens in this movie. I'm pretty, I feel sure, like, that's, I'm pretty sure that's what happens. That's, yeah. a, that's a dad who is out working and still thinking about his son at home. A mom who continues to use her husband's inventions despite the fact that they don't work and are constantly almost killing her. That family is together from the beginning. A son who might be in his thirties and still living at home. We haven't figured that part out yet. <laughs> like, I think I think that family is together at the beginning. They're together at the end, and the only reason that they give Gizmo back is because the old Chinese guy shows up and demands it back, or else there's no way they learned a lesson. Is is broken family requisite for a Christmas movie? No, but them learning a lesson and coming together would be it would have be a Christmassy plot. Uh, I mean, but they do learn a lesson. <laughs> I don't think they do. They learn they're not ready for a Mogwai. I don't think. And I don't think they learn that. I think that the Mogwai is taken away from them because they, like, they weren't. They weren't going to go find that guy and give the Mogwai back. He saw them on TV and was like, "Oh, fucking people," and showed up and said, "Give me my Mogwai," <laughs> which may have just been done because they wanted to it in the buy Billy scene because it's the cutest thing that's ever been put on cinema. I have seen multiple interviews with Howie Mandel. And he's talking about how he, he was essentially able to get paid for using the same voice multiple times. Because he yeah. obviously he does the voice of Gizmo. And then he's like, and then I use the exact same voice on my animated show, Bobby's World. It's just exactly the same. <laughs> so I convinced people to pay me multiple times for doing the same voice. Excellent. And as a punishment, now he has to shave his head and wear gloves everywhere he goes. Because he's scared <laughs> of touching anything. <laughs> Karma taught him a lesson. But then in the in the tradition of ranking things, where would you guys put Gremlins? I say easily top 20 movies of all time. I mean, I don't of all yeah, time. I I, I, you'd have to put a list of all the movies ever made in front of me, and then I'd go insane trying to make that list work. So <laughs> it's 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 a great movie. It's a classic. It's it's a personal favorite. Anything positive you can say about it, but I'm not big on ranking. I would see my my internal ranking monologue pretty much just goes if somebody held up two movies and one of them was Gremlins, what's the odds of me going? Well, I want to watch Gremlins. Those are the choices, <laughs> and I have a hard time thinking of twenty movies that I wouldn't rather watch Gremlins than. But what if somebody held up nineteen copies of Chopping Mall and one copy of Gremlins? You'd pick Chopping Mall every time. So 
It's very confusing. Well, I mean, I I still think I would watch Chopping Mall 19 times and then Gremlins once, so we would still still, still be, be top, top 20. 20. <laughs> well, I screwed that up, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're a jerk. That's my response. No, you're a jerk. <laughs> Uh, you're a little generous. I would say top ten at least for me. Like, this is definitely one of those movies. Like, I'm gonna be completely honest. I didn't have time to watch it, but I've watched it so many times. I just watched it in my mind because right. I love this damn movie. And I didn't need to watch it, but I watched it because because I, I love this movie. One, <laughs> I, I wanted to watch it again. I also didn't need to watch it, but I watched it one and a half times because <laughs> I had a little bit of time left over after I watched Prana, and I went, I'm gonna watch the last half of Gremlins again. <laughs> And, and luckily, my time was real restricted this week because my copy of Gremlins is in a three-pack with Gremlins, Gremlins 2, and Goonies. And that is that is a hole to sink into What's right the there. Third one? You're like, Goonies? Yeah, I have that triple pack, too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because you like pick it up, and you're like, I'm going to watch one of these. And then you're like, no, I'm not. I'm going to watch all of these right now. Yeah. It's in my hand. There's no going back now. We can discuss Gremlins too in more detail next week if everybody wants to watch it. Oh, don't tell Noah he is allowed to watch it because you know he'll do it. Do uh, so, what do we think of Dick Miller in this movie? Obviously, he's awesome in it. Yeah, he names the Gremlins, and he's really good at playing a, uh, an old drunk guy. He is, and and I and I, I say this is the iconic Dick Miller role. This is the one that everyone knows. Mm. Even in the normies know him. Like they might not know the name Dick Miller. But if you show them him, they'll still know that's the guy from Gremlins. And I think that says something about because he's got a relatively small part. Mm. But he's able to just draw that much attention to himself with his natural charisma and his... Uh, see, he just... This character that could be horrible, but he makes him lovable. Yeah. <laughs> like, I still love that scene where Phoebe Cates is trying to talk him out of driving home. He just... He acts like it's his idea. Yeah, and he acts like it's his idea. She's like, it's a beautiful night. You should walk home. And you see him just kind of look around, and he's like, you know what? It's a beautiful night. I think I'm just going to walk home. And you're like, you, that's right, Mr. Futterman. You walk home in this this lovely, snowy evening. I just, I mean, it was that or drive his, like, tractor home, which is hilarious <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> like, that was fun no matter, no matter what happened there. Oh, totally. So he would just rip across the, like, the courtyard of the Back to the Future uh, courthouse yeah. and just destroy shit. Take out the clock tower. Uh, then how would Marty get home? Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Hey guys, this is Eric in Ann Arbor. I just want to give you some feedback. The first piece of feedback I'd like to give you is that on the last episode, when Noah was holding the mic up directly to his mouth, he sounded fantastic! Uh, I think you should do that all the time. So maybe you want to sign up for CrossFit or start working out somewhere uh, so you have the strength to hold the mic up for the whole show. Because when you do, it sounds super awesome. Makes a huge difference.
So the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Doug's opinions on Hereditary. I will own up to being the person that told him he was one of those on Instagram. And uh, I also want to point out that when I told him that, uh, his response was, Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm one of those assholes who has a different opinion than you. But then, on the last episode, when Noah said he didn't like Into the Spider-Verse as much as everybody else, Doug told him he was incorrect. So, uh, Doug, you need to pick a story and stick with it there. There's either a right and a wrong, and you're wrong about Hereditary, or everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But it's one or the other. You can't have it both ways there, buddy. Uh, anyway, I do understand Doug's particular uh, issues with Hereditary. He made sense when he was explaining them. Uh, I will say that uh, that actor that plays the kid that he didn't like, uh, he did actually slam his own face into the desk and broke his own nose for that particular scene. So he deserves points for effort at the very least. Um, yeah, but I do want to stick to my original recommendation, which was to watch the movie again after you've seen it once. Uh, there are a whole bunch of details that you might not have caught the first time through. Uh, and I was also a little confused when Doug was talking about the movie, he made reference to ghosts three different times. And, uh, that's, that's not what's going on in, the, in that movie. So uh, you may have missed a crucial something there. So I would recommend giving it another watch. I don't know if you still have access to it or if you rented it and it's gone now. Um, but yeah, I would recommend watching it again. Anyway, that's what I had to say. Uh, great show, guys. Keep up the good work. I'll talk to you later. Bye. All right, so as you heard, good friend Eric just sent in another voicemail. And once again, of course, it went to our spam folder. Because Google hates Eric for whatever reason. I don't know. Google knows uh, something about him we don't know. <laughs> it's like, you belong here. Like, All right. Uh, so he did mention, Noah, that you needed to, to do some workouts. Get those strong arms so you can hold your microphone up to your mouth. Em- embarrassing admission. Just last week, I started doing DDP yoga. Oh, yeah. I did it twice. Keep telling myself I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to it every week. I'm trying. Everyone yeah, says it's good for you. It is. The two times I did it, I really enjoyed it. Felt better like immediately afterwards, but I just haven't got back on that horse yet. But I believe Eric did. Did he not say CrossFit, not yoga? Well, yeah. So. See, I'm not gonna do CrossFit because I'm what is uh, known in my world as. Not a weird CrossFit douche. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I apologize to anybody who's super into CrossFit, but you need to shut the fuck up about it. Yeah, don't worry. If anybody of our listeners did CrossFit, they'd emailed it to tell us by now. Right. <laughs> uh, then Eric was getting on Doug for sh- uh, basically saying... Uh, that you can shame people for not liking a movie, but you can say you don't like parts of a movie and it's okay. Yeah, Eric always forgets about the double standards. So basically, yeah, I'm allowed to tell other people they're wrong for not sharing my opinion, but if my opinion differs from yours, that does not make me wrong. And that's just how the universe works. So... A long time ago, I decided I didn't really care if people liked me or not, so I just behaved the way I behave, and that's how it is. <laughs> I don't know what's yeah. done. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. You gotta look. You're not, 
not the first person to call me out on my bullshit, and not the first person to be ignored for doing so. <laughs> he did catch me on a nitpick with the hereditary thing. He's right. I shouldn't have said ghosts, but they were close enough to ghosts that I just like to call them ghosts. But I do want to say, he tries to give that actor props for smashing his face into his desk for real. And I'm like, you know, know what? That doesn't make him a very good actor now, does it? Yeah, he should have been able to pretend his nose was broken without having to actually break it. Well, it it depends on if, if he's going method or not. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like probably what happened is he doesn't know where desks are. <laughs> he was just trying to almost hit it and missed. But what do I know? Uh, so have you rewatched Hereditary or are you going to rewatch it soon? I am, I am not going to rewatch it soon. I may rewatch it one day. Um, but I, I don't have time to rewatch things. <laughs> not things I don't love. Like I'll rewatch Gremlins again, maybe. But <laughs> that's a little different. Yeah, I watched Gremlins three more times this week. Oh, did you watch Hereditary? Fuck no. <laughs> no time to rewatch things. <laughs> I kept trying to, and then remembering that I owned Gremlins, so I watched Gremlins. <laughs> All right. Anybody watch anything since last week? A uh, few things. Uh, I went ahead and burned through uh, Russian Doll. Mm-hmm. It's on my list. I haven't watched it yet. It is good and slightly disappointing. All right. So, <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's very well written, and the uh, the dialogue is really good in like it's I'm trying to think of something to compare it to because it's like real rapid fire snappy dialogue sometimes but it seems natural all the characters seem like genuine people Mm -hmm. Uh, I went into it hoping for a little bit more of the Groundhog's Day shenanigans Mm -hmm. that were actually in it see that's why you need to watch Happy Death Day that's what that's got Groundhog Day shenanigans. I I did see Happy Death Day. All right, waiting for the next one to come out. Yeah, next week. Yeah, yeah. But it, like I said, I, I think it ended up being really, really good. I personally thought the ending was just okay, hmm. which is only disappointing because I thought the series itself was so good. And I thought that they were setting up all these cool little domino pieces to like unravel this big mystery thing at the end, and that's not what happened. It was, it was more like they were like, no, yeah, all that stuff's just like part of the rules of what's going on, but it's not really anything important. Like, oh, well, that, that sucks. Uh, then I watched uh, Brain, Brain Fart. Hold on, it's coming back. Ghoulies. <laughs> not Ghoulies 3? Doug's favorite? Nobody uh, would watch three. Nobody would voluntarily do. Well, maybe no. You you are wrong. Because then I watched Ghoulies two, and then I watched Ghoulies three. Oh, <laughs> and I would have watched the uh, the other one, but I didn't get the chance. You mean Ghoulies four? Yes. It's almost not even worthy of being called Ghoulies four because if you think three's bad, I think you're. <laughs> I don't think four is worse than three, and I have not seen four, and I'm not going to see four. <laughs> um, I'm not going to see one or two either, because that's how bad three is, but I assume it's the worst one. 
Yeah, then I really wanted to watch Munchies, but I don't have a copy of Munchies. I really need to buy one. You could buy one on Blu-ray. I know. I need to. Gremlins always puts me in a little mini monster craze. I was also going to watch the uh, MST3K Hobgoblins episode, but I didn't get a chance to watch that either. But yeah, that was was pretty much it. I I pretty much ghoulied it up. As it turns out, everything stays about the same. Ghoulies 1 is good in a really weird way. Ghoulies 2 is better in a kind of different way. Ghoulies 3 is awesome in a god-awful way. And that's pretty much it. I hear Doug's mind disagreeing with you. Yeah, I'm not even going to comment. They flush a guy down the toilet, Doug. Down the toilet. (laughs) What did you watch, Doug? Uh, his life flashed before his eyes as his heart slowly stopped beating <laughs> listening to me talk about Ghoulies 3. <laughs> uh, first thing I watched was Noah Dunn. Oh, yeah, he's done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> first thing I watched was a movie called uh, Wild Thing on uh, Netflix. The, the Ricky Vaughn story? No, not Wild Thing, Wildling. Oh. Uh, well, I became less interested. That's reasonable. Uh, I became less interested as I watched the movie, ironically. So, <laughs> um, it's a neat premise. There's a girl who's like um, locked up and being injected with drugs. Um, basically, when she gets out and gets off the drugs, we realize that she's gradually turning into some sort of a monster. Uh, yeah, very mediocre movie. Neat concept. Nothing wrong with the movie, but it was very, very forgettable. I had to like double check the <laughs> plot description in Wikipedia before I commented on it tonight <laughs> because it just didn't leave much of a taste in my mouth. So there's that. Um, has Liv Tyler in it, which is makes me feel old because now Liv Tyler's old enough to be playing the adult and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just like kind of a neat idea. Execution was kind of meh. Um, I, I don't really have any complaints about it, but I, I don't really recommend anybody take their time out of their day to watch it either. So, there you go. <laughs> that's that's all I got on that one. Um, it, it's, it's sort of like a ginger snapsy type thing with the teenage girl coming into her mm. pubescent years and gradually turns her into a monster, but it's not as interesting as ginger snaps. I was watching Ginger Snaps instead. Have you watched Ginger Snaps two yet? No. Watch Ginger Snaps two. Yeah. Well, after Ginger Snaps and then Ginger Snaps two, if it makes you feel better. Yeah. Well, after I purposefully let you and Scott spoil it for me, I'm a little disappointed. But just because I won't get that experience out of it, but yeah, I just don't want to see. Well, watch it. I should just put it on the list, and we'll make you guys watch it. Because now I want to rewatch it. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't. Have, I don't have too many comments on Wildling. I literally watched it because I was flipping through Netflix and I got distracted, and it kind of started automatically. So, like, well, I've gone too far. Yeah, like it was. It was on my like maybe I'll watch this one day list, and then I'm like, well, now it's playing. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next thing I watched, which I was much more pleasantly surprised by, was. Uh, the Death of Superman, the new DC animated oh, It's on my list. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I mean, basic plot line is giant alien monster shows up on Earth, takes out most of the Justice League, leaving just Superman to fight it. And Superman does fight it and kills it, but he dies too. I mean, which is basically my memory of the comic that I read when it came out in mm-hmm. the early 90s, whenever that was, um, which I haven't read it since, so there's probably a lot of changes to it that I'm not thinking of. But I thought that we did a really good job of dropping the viewer into an existing universe and playing off your knowledge of all these characters while at the same time you know, hitting hitting some traditional plot points that like it's got the Superman trying to deciding whether to reveal himself to Lois or not angle. It's handled pretty well. We've seen it done in every incarnation of Superman. Like they always have to go through that. Um, Which is funny. interesting because she already knew he was Superman by that point in the comic book. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a change. Yeah. Um, I guess, like I say, I haven't read the comic since it was new. But I, f- I feel like they they hit it really well, where they just they were able to use those traditional Superman moments, so that if this is if you're watching this as a standalone, you're, uh, you're it's going to all work for you. But if you're already a fan, there's lots of little hints to previous incarnations of Superman in there as well. It's like silly little things like Ma and Pa Kent show up and they make reference to you know P. Ross who used to be over at the house all the time, which is obviously in there for small fans, right? And then there's like a couple of lines that are plays on on uh, dialogue from the Christopher Reeve movies. Mm-hmm. So I thought some of that worked really well. And really, at the end of the day, it's not a, not a great story, but it's a fun little movie. And I think it the characters are all done pretty well. I think it does a good job of, like I say, setting setting you up so it's like, okay, if you're a fan of these characters, you're going to get to see what you like. But if you're coming in blind on some of these guys, like some of the other Justice League members that you might not be familiar with, you probably know a little bit about Superman, but mm-hmm. if you're going to come in, you're going to get just enough to enjoy their appearance. But if you're a fan, I don't think you'd be disappointed. Does that make any sense? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so... Um, so yeah, I... Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, the other thing it does, like, I guess this is a minor spoiler, but in the end of the movie and in the kind of mid-credit sequences, it teases the the next movie coming out. Mm-hmm. So we all know it's called Death of Superman. We all know this is the last Superman cartoon to ever get made. There's going to be a sequel with, and it's, it's Reign of the Superman is already available, but it teases that throughout it so we know that they're what they're setting up next which is kind of neat um, yeah i'm excited to see an animated version of reign of superman because i remember really enjoying that yeah, it, I, i'm definitely gonna watch it um i just gotta get around to it one of these days but yeah so i don't know if you're at all curious about the death of superman i would watch it if you're not interested in animated superhero movies it, i don't think it's gonna win you over necessarily but for me, it's just like I've been so disappointed by the DC Extended Universe stuff that I'm just happy to have mm-hmm. these characters in stories that are being told well, that are you know compelling and having characters and the plots make sense, which is not something they seem to be able to do in their live-action movies. 
Yeah, and I always find it weird that uh, that they decided to go with the death of Superman and like in the second DC movie. Yeah, I'm just like this is way too soon. Okay, so here's the thing: like that in in the in the live action universe, they tried to do the same thing they did here, which was like, Mm -hmm. okay, we're establishing the characters, we're going into this world where all these people exist, um, and then. That way we can do like the death of Superman and Batman versus Superman early, but they failed so miserably at setting you into that universe and not being able to combine like okay you have your knowledge of these characters already, but so we're gonna just spend enough time to make you care about them for the purposes of this movie and then we can do our you know our either our Batman Superman fight or our death of Superman. They never gave us enough time with the, either of those characters for the, those things to matter. And these animated movies seem to be better at doing that, at saying, okay, we don't need to do the origin story again for you. You know it. But we're going to spend enough time with these guys to get remind you who everybody is and get you caring about them again before the big fights start to happen and we have to actually know what's going on. And they just seem to be so much better at doing it in the animated versions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with less, like a less amount of time, too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like the super, like the live action ones are about two hours. These are usually 90 minutes or so. You're able to pull off this, the more emotional connection than fucking live action ones. It doesn't make any sense to me other than no. just they're bad at making live action movies. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe somewhere there's like a, I don't know exactly how this works, but I imagine somebody at DC Animation or Warner Brothers animation is somebody that actually gives a shit about comics and they don't yeah. have that in their live action universe. They don't seem to have people who care. So maybe because it's because of the budget differences, maybe they're the studios getting more involved in those live action movies mm-hmm. and they're not able to just stick to the comic storylines. I don't know. <coughs> so my only minor complaint about Death of Superman is they do use the modern character designs, and I prefer the classic mm-hmm. character designs. So for everybody, that's a problem. Yeah. For every character on screen. I did notice that, like in the stills that I saw, I'm like, oh, he doesn't have the red underwear. Well, that's yeah. stupid. The Wonder Woman costume I find particularly problematic. I just don't like it. But that's just that's a real nitpick. Mm-hmm. And like I say, it's just yeah, I'm sure there are kids who grew up reading comics more recently that would find it strange to see the other costumes. So, And yeah, I don't know. That's that. The only other thing I watched uh, was that I finally got around to A Quiet Place. Hmm. Um, Still haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I gotta say I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's much more of a monster movie than I expected it to be. But I say that as a compliment, not as a criticism. It just, uh, it does a really good job of just being this, like the universe is set up, there's monsters out there. If they hear you, they kill you, but they can't see you, so you can exist as long as you're dead quiet. That's the world we're in. And uh, I think it's it's an interesting idea. It's a neat world. It doesn't take itself too seriously, um, which is good. Because it is, at the end of the day, it becomes this monster movie with these monsters chasing these people around. And I, I just, I found it really enjoyable. Um, 
if you're a fan of like creature features. The creatures look cool. Like I said, it's kind of unique, the idea that, uh, that they are entirely sound-based and that if you just stay quiet, you can just live amongst them without ever really being in too much danger. Um, so, yeah, I liked it. Um, the, the main family is reasonably likable. So it's, it's Jim from The Office and Emily Blunt and their kids. Um, does he keep were, turning to the camera and smirking and breaking the fourth wall the entire he, movie? He rarely does that throughout the movie. Um, the one thing that's interesting is they, they, they mainly communicate through sign language. And I've, I kind of, whenever that happens in a movie, I always wonder if their sign language is right. I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, it's hard to describe the movie because um, it is like it's the atmosphere works for me. Characters are likable enough. And like there's like there's a teenage daughter and she's kind of snotty and doesn't listen, which felt real. You know, uh, I liked that they kept finding they kept finding new ways to make the world a problem. So there's I mean, one of the plot points is that they're about to have a baby and they're like, uh, fuck, you can't really keep babies quiet. I don't know if you know how that works. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd recommend it if you're a fan of monster movies. I think it marketed itself more as like this dark thriller. It's not really that, but that's fine. Someone put it on my voodoo, so I mean, I have access to it. I just haven't sat down to watch it yet. Yeah, and it was one I wanted to see in theaters and I missed. It's it's on Netflix now here, so it's like been staring at me in the face for a few weeks, and I'm just like, yeah, um, well worth your time. It's I'm trying to think of like what to say about it that's not completely spoilery, but you know, there's the violence is good. They kill a kid early on in the movie, which is fun. As we established during our piranha talk, we like to watch children die on screen because we're but, good people. But it's plot like it's it's important plot wise because that ends up setting up some of the conflict between the characters later on. I like that it concentrated on this one little family uh, rather than trying to be like there's no this isn't signs right. It doesn't follow a main a main family, but then at the end of the movie, that main family saves the planet or anything like that. It, yeah, it just. It, it just sticks kind of within the confines of this one, like farm area where they all are. Um, yeah, reasonably creepy in the scary moments. Supposedly they're working on a sequel, so. Yeah. And I mean, there's plenty of room for a sequel. The universe exists the way it does. There's one of the neat elements that I kind of enjoyed of it is at night, John Krasinski's character climbs on top of this like silo and lights a fire and then you can see as he's up there like other fires pop up around so there are other people around that have also managed to survive in this like post-apocalyptic world but they're we don't see most of them we just know they're kind of out there so you can just easily tell another story if you wanted to whether you could bring back some of these characters or just have a whole new cast Interesting. I will say, um, to cut off the criticism of the movie, somebody, it was actually Eric on, uh, messaged me on Instagram and pointed out that some people, I guess, are saying, like, oh, you can really nitpick the movie because you can say, like, well, how did they manage to live this long without making noise? And, you know, how, how could they have, at one point, they're in, like, a, 
one of those grain silos that's full of corn and like how could they have harvested corn silently and all this other stuff. So if, my advice is if you're a fan of this movie and somebody starts saying that, just point out to them that that's why the movie's about this family because they're the ones that figured out how to do all that stuff quietly. <laughs> or there were lots of other families who were not able to do that stuff quietly and that's why they're not in the movie. <laughs> they, yeah, got Eric. Killed, they got killed off way before. It wasn't him. He was pointing out that other people said that. So. Oh, still. Eric said it's his favorite horror movie of 2018. Which, if you told me that before, maybe I'd have prioritized watching it. Thanks a lot for not giving me any advice, Eric. <laughs> he probably did say that on his own podcast that I don't listen to because I don't have time to listen to other people's podcasts. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Doug only listens to his own podcast. There's a sad amount of truth to that. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else? No, that's all I got to. Uh, I watched a couple documentaries. Uh, first off, I watched Abducted in Plain Sight. It's a documentary on Netflix. Yeah. This is a documentary about two of the stupidest parents ever to walk the face of the earth. Okay. Uh, I won't go too far into the actual story part of it. But it's a family in the 70s. Uh, they have three girls. And... They pretty much let one of their girls get abducted by a family friend twice. Uh, so uh, that, wait, definitely, that, definitely, that definitely means after the first time he abducted her, they sort of were like, well, he is a family friend. And then let it happen again. You know, anybody can get kidnapped once. <laughs> anybody can have their child kidnapped once. But when the same person kidnaps your child a second time, I feel that... Uh, I don't want to take blame off the kidnapper, but it definitely puts some of the blame on you. <laughs> For sure. That's so, fascinating. I had no idea that that was what went on in this. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they become friends with this guy, and he is really close to all of their daughters, and it's the 70s, so apparently people were just like, yeah, whatever. <clears throat> At least this family was. And he wanted to take this one daughter, specifically Jane, to... The horse stables because she loves horses and so they're like okay and then so they left to go to the stables saying they'd be back by dinner and they didn't come back for 40 days and they didn't report it to the police until they had been gone for five days jesus yes yes you want to grab these parents and be like what the fuck is wrong with you so yeah so then it just breaks down, like, what happened, the weirdo shit that happened between uh, the guy and the girl while they were gone, and just how this guy essentially conned his way into this family completely. But yeah, it just, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very strange documentary, and you will, like I said, yell multiple times at the TV, what the fuck is wrong with you at these parents? This was on my on my to watch list, and I I didn't realize how much I would end up hating the, the victims to some extent. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I would recommend it. Everybody I talk to about it, they're just like, "What the fuck?" And I'm like, "I know, right?" So yeah, it's definitely yeah. worth it for that discussion. I yeah, I posted I was watching it, and then the next morning I had a text from my friend Mike. It was just like. 
so that abducted in plain sight, huh? What the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's right. That is the correct, uh, correct feeling about that movie. Well, that's that's the sentiment that's going around about that, and now I need to fucking know. <laughs> so next week here, Doug, talk about abducted in plain sight. Maybe. Uh, let's see. The other documentary I watched uh, is a documentary about the history of black culture in horror movies called Horror, horror Noir. Okay. And it literally just came out today on Shudder. It's Shudder exclusive. And I've been pretty excited to watch this. So they sort of just break down how the how, how black people have been portrayed in horror films since the beginning of film. And they interview tons of people. One of the best things is they set uh, Ken Foray and Keith David down in the theater. Most of these Interviews are done like in a movie theater. Uh, and just let them just talk about whatever, you know, random shit about movies and black culture and stuff like that. And that part is just fat. Like, I would watch an entire hour and a half of just those two sitting around bullshitting the whole time. Like, they're absolutely fantastic. Uh, then they get a bunch of other actors and directors, and they usually pair them up and they kind of discuss back and forth and. There's a flow to it, and it works really well. The thing I do like is they open the documentary with basically saying, like, look, we're at this point right now because of Get Out. So we're acknowledging that right off the bat. Get Out opened all these doors for all this discussion, like all this stuff. And then, like, okay, so now that we've acknowledged that, let's go all the way back and basically start with Birth of a Nation, which they say while technically not really a horror movie, is definitely a horror movie for black people. Just by how horribly they are portrayed, and it's, of course, a movie about the Ku Klux Klan. It was then endorsed by uh, Woodrow Wilson, saying how fantastic it was. So, that's interesting. But then they just sort of go through uh, big milestones throughout black cinema, just what they mean. Uh, there is one where uh, the mom from, okay, from Tales in the Hood, the mom from the segment with uh, David Allen Greer, where he's uh, very abusive, she is sitting with the writer and director of Blackula, and they're just kind of going back and forth, discussing like some of the stuff as the documentary's going. So, I mean, they set up a lot of situations like that, and I think it's, it's done really well. Uh, it's really educational. Um, as we were sitting there watching it, I mean, like Amanda was watching it, and she obviously doesn't think too much. She pretty much takes stuff at like surface value for a lot of movies. Like she'll enjoy them, she'll get stuff out of them. But they were talking about how, like, at a certain point, the stereotypical horror movie was set like in a science lab, like The Fly and like all that kind of stuff. And they're like, well, obviously there would be no black people in this lab, so we don't need any black people in this movie. So then there was not a lot of work for actors at that point. And then they were basically pointing out that they took black people out of the movies, but then uh, they basically were standing in monsters and aliens and stuff for the 
quote unquote unknown to sort of represent that kind of stuff. And Amanda just looked at it. She's like, I have, like, I would never even think that that's what all that stuff meant. And so she was, she found it fascinating to sort of just listen to them talk about how all that stuff, you know, what it means and how it's portrayed and all that stuff. So, uh, super fascinating. Goes all the way up. They talk about, they talk about, the 80s where it becomes if you're a black guy in a horror movie you're the first to die uh they go through that whole thing uh and then you know they give big credit to Candyman in the 90s and then you know sort of go on through and of course end with get out and talk about that and they interviewed jordan peele so he's cut throughout the documentary too discussing some of these things and uh it's just a really fascinating documentary if you get a chance to watch it I always like stuff that like I would never have a chance to experience any of this. So it's interesting to see all of this condensed down into like a documentary where I can kind of look at it through other people's eyes who sort of have to go through all this all the time and stuff. I just find it really fascinating in terms of uh, cinema history and stuff like that. So definitely worth a watch. And then the last thing I watched... Uh, we went and saw Glass. Okay. Which I know you saw last week. Yep. Um, so I enjoyed it, but I definitely did have some problems with it. Okay. Do we need to get spoilery in order to discuss those problems? Uh, probably. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Noah, why don't you tell us what we're doing next week? Uh, we are doing a Valentine's Day episode about love, my love of Red Brown. So we are doing uh, Strike Force and Captain America. Oh yeah, we are a sucker for the holidays around here. Any excuse to celebrate? Yeah, we definitely plan ahead. Prepare to die, Americanski. <laughs> And we'll all assume that that's a reference to one of the movies. Yes. That we haven't watched yet. Um, yeah, so stay tuned for that. And then anybody else that's listening, we're going to be getting into a spoilery discussion about Glass. So if you haven't watched it yet, stop now. Come back later. <laughs> Since I haven't watched it, I think I'm going to have to drop out. <laughs> <laughs> you should. I mean, it's an M. Night Shyamalan film. It, the twist matters. It's very important. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know. So, whoever, Noah, or anyone else that decides to keep listening, it's not our fault we ruined the movie for you. Uh, I mean, if you are going to see it soon, we could wait, Noah, and have a... Uh, I cannot guarantee that's going to happen. I will just drop out, and I will allow you guys to have your discussion. Thanks. Make sure you listen to the podcast soon, so that you can tell us if you have any questions (laughs) about our discussion. Absolutely. All right. All right. Have a nice evening, guys. Goodbye. All right. So I enjoyed seeing these characters come together. Um, I did enjoy sort of Bruce Willis's uh, search for the horde. Thought that stuff was interesting and fun. Yeah the first the first part of the movie seems to be universally people like it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that opening part where he's you know 
hunting him down and all that seems to work for almost everyone who would even consider seeing the movie uh, I thought the stuff at the mental institution was interesting but definitely sorts of drag towards the middle of the movie yeah while I was watching the movie before I knew where the twist was coming mm. I my opinion on that was like you either need to get way more in depth into this or it mm. shouldn't be happening yeah. Um, I think that my my complaint basically went away when the twist came, and I said, "Oh, that's like I didn't understand what was happening because it hadn't been explained yet, and that's why I felt that way." Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was similar for you or not. Uh, yeah. Um, I was listening to a review of it today on another podcast, and they were like poking holes all over the place of sort of Sarah Paulson's character and her motivations and just how she was approaching things. Yeah. Because it seems like her big motivation is we want to convince people uh, that they're not superheroes. Right. Uh, But then they pointed out like, okay, but if you're trying to convince them, why are you reinforcing that they are superheroes and have weaknesses by installing all this weird shit in their cells. Well, yeah, because you know that they are superheroes. Right? Yeah. Cuz I've heard yeah. this criticism too and my response is yeah, she knows that you know Bruce Willis is unbreakable and she knows mm-hmm. that his weakness is water. Yeah. So while her goal is to get them in there and like the goal is to prevent superheroes from spreading around the world. Yeah. The, First, the first method to use is to basically convince them, no, you're you're not a superhero, you're just kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. And so if you can convince them of that, then you can release them. Nobody yeah. has to die. We're just going to get them out of there. But she knows that they are, in fact, superheroes. Mm-hmm. So she needs those protections built in in case yeah. it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But then, like, her goal is, I'm going to convince them that no it's all in your head you don't need all this but same time still playing into their their neuroses that they are superheroes and have weaknesses and well because you lock so you lock david dunn in a room yeah and you say okay we're gonna start therapy tomorrow if he wants out he's just gonna get out right oh totally so you put the water thing in there as a way to convince him to not try and get out. So sure. you can have him locked in long enough to try your mind fuck on him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense from the viewer's point of view. It's just a weird motivational... It's, it's a bit weird. I just think at the end of the day, like, without if, if they didn't have a way to keep them in there, mm-hmm. why, would the, why would we ever believe that the characters stuck around long enough to be sure. through the... Sure. Therapy or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so that stuff, I was hoping there'd be more of Mr. Glass, but Samuel Jackson spends about half the movie just sort of drugged up and not responsive to anything. Yeah, I, plays that way. Yeah, I liked his performance. Um, yeah. But it's Sam Jackson. You do kind of get a little disappointed that you don't get to see him doing other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, I feel like James McAvoy deserves an Oscar for 
his crazy portrayal of all these characters. And especially in this movie, when they use use that hypnotic light or whatever it is, that every time it flashes, it brings out a new personality. And so he has to change personalities, like, just, like, like one right after the other. Like, in on camera. Yeah. He does an amazing pr- job doing all that stuff. Yeah, I feel like they kind of wrote that plot point in just so they could let him act. They're like, you, mm. you were really, really good in the last movie, but we feel like we didn't challenge you enough. So here, we're going to throw this at you yeah. and see if you can keep up. Yeah, and like I was reading some of the trivia and stuff, and the first bit of trivia is like a quote from Samuel Jackson, who's like, as good as I think I am most times, being on set and watching James McAvoy switch between characters like in front of your eyes is just completely amazing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, and I wasn't on set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know, the, the big battle at the end, I guess I was a little underwhelmed by it, that it just takes place in the parking lot. Um, I mean, it's fine, I guess. I, I don't know what else I would rather have, because I think a giant spectacle fight, like, on the, um, like, airing more towards, like, the Avengers or something wouldn't make sense in this movie either. No, I I liked, this was just because I'm an asshole, and I think M. Night Shyamalan's also an asshole, so we mm-hmm. kind of see eye to eye on certain things, but I liked the way they, the film actively teased, like, we're going to go down to this big building and we're going to have this big fight in front of everybody and we're going to reveal ourselves to the world. And then last minute they're like, nah, we'll just duke it out here in this parking lot right outside. The- <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that was a fun little twist. Um, this, I, I, feel, I feel like it was sort of designed to piss audiences off, though. And I hope that Abdi Shyamalan knew he was pissing people off when he did that and that he's just not so removed from the world that he thought people would enjoy that. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly. I enjoyed point. it, so. Uh, and I didn't like that it was like just during the middle of the day. There was something just weird about that. And that may just be part of the same notion that you're just talking about. Yeah, I don't uh, know. That didn't bother me that it was during the middle of the day. Yeah. But then sort of the big thing is just the sudden appearance of some weird group that is just taking out people with powers, and then they just kill off our three main heroes in the movie. Well, there's your, there's your big twist, right? That's, yeah. that's the part we couldn't say in front of Noah or anybody else that hasn't seen the movie. Mm. Um, did you like it, or did no, you not like it? There not you. really. I just feel like it just comes out of nowhere. I mean, obviously, I knew she was going to end up being the villain, um, but I don't know. I liked, I liked the fact that it um, it helped explain everything else that gone in the movie. Like all of a sudden, you're like, oh, well, that's why she's been doing this weird thing of trying to tell them they don't have superpowers, even though mm. we as an audience do know. Yeah, and that's why they had this weird machine that they shot into Samuel Jackson's head. Mm-hmm. Um, all that stuff now made sense to me, whereas it really didn't make sense to me earlier on. So I thought that was uh, that was good. Um, is it my favorite twist I've ever seen in a movie? No, uh, it's yeah. it's not great, but it certainly is unexpected. It's certainly different, and I always mm-hmm. give movies credit for being different, and I think it works. 
like I think the twist itself is like maybe the fact that the organization was as large as it was was a little bit distracting. Mm. But I think overall the twist made sense. Like the twist was like okay, that's what this whole movie's been about is these guys have been locked in this institution because this organization trapped them there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I was a huge fan of that, but um, I mean, they were big enough to have like military vehicles and stuff, which is crazy. And then just, uh, you know, Bruce Willis is unceremoniously just drown in a mud puddle, which again <laughs> plays into that. Yeah, I mean, he can bend bars, but we're just going to drown him in a mud puddle. That's how much, like, how all this stuff works in this real world superhero waters is weakness right yeah superman almost drowned in one of the movies because they put kryptonite around his neck even mm-hmm. though he can fly through outer space without breathing but once yeah. he's around kryptonite he's screwed <laughs> once Bruce willis is around water he's screwed yeah so i just thought that was weird and i don't know it just it left me a little sad that that was how all this was ending then, I, I agree, but it it is it's a sad ending, but yeah. it's I mean it's obviously not intended to be a happy ending, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're left with uh, yeah, sort of the three leftover characters: Bruce Willis's son, uh, the girl from Split, and Samuel Jackson's mom. Just releasing videos of everybody with superpowers into the world, and hoping that'll be enough to just. I don't know. Let other people know that if they have powers, that they're not alone or something. And yeah, basically, they're thwarting the goal of suppressing superheroes yeah. by letting everyone know that superheroes exist. Which the criticism I've heard of that is that if those videos showed up online right now, they would convince no one because it's so yes. easy to fake videos in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, that does feel like a twist that would have worked better if this movie was made. 25 years ago yeah for sure like if you could have somehow gotten that footage onto the news in 1990 or something that would have made a lot more sense um mm-hmm. so i i don't know if like i assume this is the last movie in this universe uh i have heard yeah i've heard he's not planning on like he's planning on ending it there so yeah so i i think if you if you tried to make another movie where somehow the whole world saw that footage on YouTube and just believed it all to be real, mm-hmm. I think that would seem silly. Yeah. So I, I do think that part of it is a bit of a, a drop of all. It's just mm-hmm. like, a, he, how are they going to convince everyone? Because even if they'd managed to somehow live stream it into, I don't know, again, I'm not sure where you would live stream that, that people would believe it. Or like if somehow they'd gotten news reporters to show up and witness the fight that might have made more sense mm-hmm. rather than just having them dump it on the internet where it's not going to convince anyone yeah. so yeah i think I, i've heard that criticism and i think it's valid like it's mm-hmm. it's not really a way around that yeah i don't know i guess i was hoping as a movie i was just hoping that the movie essentially would be elijah controlling the horde and then of course david happened to hunt them down and take care of them i knew they were going to end up 
in an institution. I just didn't realize that was like the crux of the whole movie. I could have done more with kind of what they did at the beginning of the movie with him and the horde facing off. And then I thought maybe if like <sighs> Elijah will, will see that this horde has appeared and would cause him to somehow break out of the asylum or whatever. And then, yeah. But didn't happen. No, but the asylum, the asylum stuff has its own merits. I mean, there's some good stuff in there too. It's just, I don't know. It was a very, very, uh, I don't know if low energy is a good way to describe it. It was just a very low key sort of movie. Yeah, I think people had it in their minds that this was going to turn into an Avengers like thing where you'd have these two superpowered people just mm-hmm. fighting it out. But if you go back and you watch Unbreakable and Split going into this yeah. movie, you realize that these guys were never, they never had those types of powers that. David Dunn is stronger than everybody else, but at the end of Unbreakable, he still struggles to take out a normal dude who's mm. just committed some kidnappings. Yeah. So, I think that for me, it worked. Like it worked in the sense that it was consistent with what had come before it, and it obeyed the rules of the universe. Whereas if they'd started like flying or something, I'd have gone, well, "Hey, we didn't set that up in the previous movies." <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and like I say, I, I think it definitely subverted expectations which i always give a film credit for mm-hmm. but sometimes it can reduce your enjoyment of a movie especially on a first watch where you're going wanting something and you don't get it mm-hmm. yeah and i mean i wasn't i guess i wasn't necessarily expecting that like i, I did just say you know that david would be going after them or whatever and i was hoping maybe for a little bit more of a cat and mouse situation but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I thought my experience with this movie overall was going to be. I just don't. I really feel like the the weird organization has really threw me off. Because it just sort of pops up out of nowhere at the end with all these clover tattoos or whatever. And then uh, I'm supposed to be like, oh, okay, well, that just, I guess, wraps up all those things we've been seeing the entire movie, like you mentioned with her. Yeah trying to convince them they're not superheroes and all that stuff. And I'm just like, all right, so some dude, we don't even get to see his face, just pushes Bruce Willis's face into a puddle and we're good. All right. Yeah. I mean, I I can completely understand the argument that it's anticlimactic. Yeah. But on the other thing, the other side of it is it's legitimately shocking what it happens. And Mm -hmm. that's... For a movie in 2019 to be legitimately shocking is kind of a huge accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah. Um, I did like that uh, M. Night decided that his character from Split and this character from Unbreakable were the same character. Yep. <laughs> He's like, hey, didn't you just work at the stadium? Yeah, I was hanging out with some bad people around then. Turned my life around. I like that element of it. Um, yeah, it was just it was just a fun little throwaway. But uh, yeah, it means. What did you? Laugh. The more interesting thing is, what did you think about the fact that they sort of they created it so that the train crash is what created the horde? And it also um, Willis out. That didn't bother me a whole lot, and I think 
a lot of people who were surprised by that. But rewatching Split before he goes to let you know let the beast out, he does go to the train station and drop flowers off. Yeah. And so for me, I'm just like, oh, I bet he was totally on that train that Bruce Willis was on. Like I put it together, like the you know when I watched it a couple days before we went and saw Glass. Yeah. So that didn't bother me. I've heard other people complain that it's too uh, too neatly tied together, I guess. And that you know, Mr. Glass is apparently uh, responsible for creating. You know all the superheroes we've seen in this yeah. universe. I kind of liked that idea. I felt that felt very comic booky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with as much as I like the fact that the movie didn't go in a traditional comic book direction, I like that it did some elements of comic books really well. Mm-hmm. And that was one of them. Have you heard, have you heard the theory that uh, same Kevin shows up mm-hmm. in Unbreakable? Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Um. I mean, why not? I think it's just one of those retroactive sort of things they've just thrown out there. Uh, apparently like, apparently the uh, the original script for Unbreakable did include his character, and so yeah. now the question is, was that left in intentionally, or is that just a coincidence? Mm-hmm. I think it makes as much sense as anything. Yeah, completely. And it it kind of makes everything a little more fun if it is true. So. Mm-hmm. And when me and Amanda were rewatching Unbreakable, I pointed that out to her too. I paused it and I'm like, okay, so retroactively they're saying this could be Kevin right there. So, I've, I've yeah. heard a lot of people argue that, like, oh, you can hear a whole bunch of different voices when that happens and stuff, um, which could very well be true, or it could be that there's a lot of other people around as well. So mm. I think both those arguments hold up. It's whatever you want to believe. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like when they say like, oh, the kid in uh, Iron Man Two is actually Peter Parker. Like Yeah. It's I don't know if they meant that when they made it, but I know it's more fun if it is. So yeah. <laughs> let's just go with it. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, it doesn't hurt anything, it doesn't change anything. It's just is what it is, and if you don't like it, then you can ignore it and it doesn't it doesn't cause any other problems. So just have fun with it. Yeah, I don't know. I need. I, I want to rewatch it. I guess when it comes out on video, and maybe I can just sit and kind of look at it. Now that I kind of know where the story is going, and I can just look at it and watch it without any expectations, and see how I feel about it. Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting rewatch, um, just because I, I, I want to know if the movie is still enjoyable to watch when you know where it's going. And the only way to do that is going to be to rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't hate the movie. There's just stuff that I walked out going, I don't know if I like that specific part of it. I guess maybe if they would introduce the organization stuff sooner in the movie, it wouldn't have bothered me as much, but then it wouldn't be a big twist. Yeah, I know they could. I wonder and this might be something on a rewatch, like, are there signs that that doctor is part of something bigger? Mm-hmm. And maybe in a rewatch, they'll be, it'll be more noticeable. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I'm not surprised that a lot of people didn't like this. Like I say, it goes against what a lot of people were expecting. Yeah. I see that as a positive. Um, 
so right away I'm giving it credit for doing something different, but I also think that it wasn't executed perfectly either. Yeah. My biggest issue is probably just how big they implied that organization is and the fact that they say, like, oh, we've been doing this for thousands of years or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, you could just as easily have just left a lot of that a little bit more ambiguous or implied that they're just a branch of the federal government that's doing it and not necessarily some secret organization. It would have worked maybe a little bit better. But, yeah, I agree. You know, we're, we're also just sitting here criticizing it from of our homes. We didn't have to actually write that script. So. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you know, criticizing it because we're supposed to talk about a movie that we just saw and criticize it. So take that however. But yeah, I mean, there's stuff I wish they could have done better. There's other stuff that I really enjoyed that I can't wait to watch again. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes on the second watch, I guess. The way things go now, that'll be available on disc in like two weeks or something. So as soon as it's out of theaters. Yeah. It'll be super easy. I'll just pick it up. Uh, I don't know. Anything else? Uh, no. Like we covered it. Mm. I don't know. There's not, uh, can't be much more left to say again. <laughs> Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.